Father, as we look in your word together, I pray that you would help us to be open to hearing and to learning. Lord, I pray that all the things that might be a distraction to us, we might be able to put aside, and that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to every single person in this room. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated, um, except for Jim. Hey, Jim, do you know where these fans are at? Who knows where the little fan? Joe, can you turn those off, please? We needed them, but now I'm going to be distracted by them. You guys might be fine, but I will be distracted by them. So, two, what I am pretty sure are universal truths. You can go to the black screen. Um, Number one, exercise is good. Everyone agree? Exercise is good. Number two, I never have enough time to exercise. (laughs) Anyone ever feel that way? You get it set up, and yet you just don't seem to have enough time to do it within your day. However, I have really excellent news. It is good news. It is not quite gospel news, but it is good news for you. Recently, a study was done that showed improvement in strength between 6 and 12% over a month-long period of time. Let me tell you its name. The three-second workout. And it is literally three seconds. The study was this. They took 39 college students, and they worked them out for three seconds, five days a week for a month, and then had a control group of 10 who didn't. The workout was this. You sat, you had a lever, and you would either pull or push, depending on which group you were in, as hard as you could for three seconds. At the end, you'd worked out a total of 60 seconds. Could you do that in a month? <laughs> and you got 6 to 12% increase in strength. Now, some of the comments about this I thought were quite good because, you know, articles, people get to comment on them. Here's a few of the comments. This sounds like my routine, except for the weights and the exertion. <laughs> Every six months or so, the time goes down. I remember seven minutes, then whatever came next, and now we arrive at three seconds. We're getting pretty close to my preferred regimen of zero. Hmm, would that be more effective before or after that pint of haagen <laughs> All right, here's the thing. What they are finding, of course, is that this particular study was only for the bicep, It did not increase size. It had nothing to do with anaerobic. You didn't lose weight. It just strengthened. There's a whole lot more that needs to be done. And here's the third universal. Almost nothing that is worth something is easy. You do not have people who are great athletes, great musicians, great actors, doctors, lawyers, They didn't just wake up and it became that. Great teachers, great friends, great spouses. It all requires 
work. You can't do it in three seconds. Guess what? The spiritual life cannot be done in three seconds. And what we're about to look at is quite interesting, especially for our church. So I became an Anglican partly and for in large part, there's a huge part of this for me because of the rituals and the traditions and the connection to history and all these things. Um, Jesus, as you heard in the gospel reading, is about to say something really significant about tradition. And we are a very big tradition church. We have lots of them. And he's about to say something about this. But ultimately, he wants to say something about the spiritual life. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 15. It's on page 1396, if you're in one of the few Bibles. 1396. Matthew chapter 15. The spiritual life will take some work. And really, Jesus will make two points, and both of them are about what's central to the spiritual life, the heart. Here's his first point. If you want a good spiritual life, your heart needs to be close to God. Let's look at it and unpack what that means. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. All right, don't let that pass by. He is in Galilee, probably near Gennesaret. He is like 60 miles away. Whatever they're getting ready to ask him, they walked 60 miles to come do it. When's the last time you walked 60 miles? Anyone? I didn't think so. So this is really important to them. Whatever it is they're coming for, it's really significant for them. Here's their question for Jesus. And, and I wish, well, actually, can. when I was reading it, I wished you were all following on because I want you to see at the end of the, of, of the sentence in verse 2, it has an exclamation point. I'm, that is trying to translate the Greek. Um, this is like really seriously. Here's their question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. This is a huge deal. And if I had to guess, part of the reason I think they might be doing this, they have already tried to catch Jesus on so many things. They have attacked him on a number of issues. This is a really public, really easy thing to see and really significant to them. And I think maybe they have, like, you can't weasel out of this one. Like, they don't do this. And it's really important. And when everyone sees this, they're definitely going to want to turn away from you. Now, Jesus doesn't really answer their question. Not to them. He's going to answer it, but he's going to answer it to the crowds later on. He's going to call people to him, and he's going to give the answer to the crowds. He wants to kind of go after the Pharisees for something else, and this is where we need to really listen up. Here's what he says to the Pharisees. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Well, you don't ever want to hear that question from Jesus. And yet, I think, and I'll address this toward the end, we need to be careful. 
Because again, this collar I'm wearing, this is tradition. This isn't Bible. When I wash my hands before communion, that's not Bible. That's tradition. There's so much of what we do that is tradition. And Jesus' question, he doesn't say tradition is bad. But he does say, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Here's what he means. Verse 4. For God said, honor your mother and father. We all know that, right? Everyone know that command? Honor your mother and father. Right out of the Ten Commandments. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. It's pretty serious from that old covenant law. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God. All right, so here's what I do. I've got a significant amount of savings here that should go to take care of my aging parents. Instead, I devote it to God. Now, what's God going to do with that? I don't know, so maybe I can keep using it. Um, But I don't have to give it to my parents now because I've sanctified it. I've given it to God. Now, was every Pharisee doing this? No. Was every Jew doing this? No, but some were. And in essence, by doing that, Jesus will say, they are not to honor their father and mother with it, Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Man, I don't ever want to be in that position. Again, I became an Anglican because I love some of this stuff. But I do not want to be in a place where I'm putting the traditions above the word of God. You hypocrites. He's not done. (laughs) You hypocrites, which is the word that means to pretend, to play act, to act like one thing, but you're actually something else. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, and this is the text that was read for our reading. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. All right, what does he mean? Their hearts are far from me, because that's the crux right here. And he's going to bring hearts back for the other side of it. Here's what he doesn't mean. He does not mean their hearts are not in proximity to me. Like, they've gone way over there and I'm way over here. It's not that. If you keep reading the Isaiah passage, he will say things like this. You are making your own plans. You are trying to trust in Egypt, not in me. To have your hearts far from God is to not have your heart lined up with his values, with his desires, with who he is and what he wants. It is to be seeking things outside of him instead of with him. It's to be looking for protection from things outside of him. Now, there's nothing wrong with having an alarm and being able to call the cops and being smart. But we should also be seeking the Lord and seeking his protection. Let me give you an illustration for this. And for sake of anonymity, I'm going to just use the following titles. Kid 1, Kid 2, and Kid 3. Okay? So, I think this is awesome. My kids, all three of them, not my youngest one, my other three, they're doing a musical together for the first time. Um, It's very cool. And they're doing Matilda. They just started. They've had one rehearsal. But in that first rehearsal, they practiced a song. And they wanted to show us the song. 
So my wife and I are sitting on the couch, and we have kid one, kid two, and kid three. The music starts, and they begin to dance. And here is what is very clear as you are watching it. Kid one knows 90% of the dance. Kid one, the movements, everything else are, hear me, representing what the choreographer wanted in the dance. Kid number two is kind of there and partially looking to kid number one to figure out what to do. And then kid number three simply looks like kid number three doesn't want to be in the room with us. Kid number three is partly moving around, but mostly looking like, can I please just leave? Hi. Let me put this in biblical terms. Kid number three's heart was far from the choreographer. Kid number one, the dance moves, were very close to the choreographer. Hi. Where are the dance moves of your life? What tune are you dancing to? What do your actions and your words look like? Right? Are you choosing your own tune? I mean, that's, that's American, right? Dance to the beat of your own drummer. No. Dance to the beat of God's beat. Be who you are, because he made you that way. However, there is a dance that is there for us. Man, I wish we could do that song that Aaron wrote. Um, it's a great song about dancing. We'll do it during Christmas or something. But anyway, sorry, just came to my mind. That wasn't part of my sermon. Um, <laughs> my mind goes everywhere as I'm preaching. Um, that's what it means to have your heart close to God. Right? And theirs is not because they're choosing their own way. But he's not done. And here's the other side of it. And this is what we need to hear about the spiritual life not being easy. Go back into the text. Jesus called the crowd to him. Again, Pharisees are there, but he's like, come here, crowds. I want you to hear the answer. Listen and understand. This is important for all of us. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Now, very likely, there were a whole lot of people in the crowd that were going, I, wait, uh, I kind of get that. I, I think I get, maybe I do, maybe I don't. There were probably a few going, I think that makes sense, and some going, I'm not sure what he means. And the reason I say that is because in a moment, the disciples are going to come and go, can you explain this? And he's going to. I, they did not get it. Again, partially they might have gotten it, but not fully. But before that happens, the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended? It is a really good word. It means to be shocked by something that would produce anger. They are like, oh my gosh, how could you have said that? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Yeah, you don't want to follow a blind person around, right? It's not the best person to be the guide for the tour. Right? But then he goes, then the, the, the Peter says, explain this parable to us. Help us understand. And here's the important part of the heart. Are you still so dull 
Jesus is a little feisty in this particular one. I mean, he's like, he doesn't even answer the Pharisees. He's like, why do you do this? And then the disciples come and he's like, are you still so dull? You don't get this? Yes, <laughs> quite often. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Right, so here's what they were thinking. This is their rationale, okay? If your hands are unclean and then you touch food, where does the food go? Inside you. Now what's happening inside of you? You are unclean. And Jesus is going, no. Food goes in and it goes out. Okay? That does not defile you. I don't care how dirty your hands. This is about hygiene, by the way. Okay? And this isn't a message like, don't wash your hands anymore before you eat. That's not the point. Spiritually, right? that doesn't matter. What does? The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Jesus wants to get to the heart of it with his disciples. It's not just about saying, hey, Pharisees, you're wrong. It's about disciples. I want you to get this. Their hearts are far from God. And because of that, what's coming out of them is also far from God. Do you want to know what makes you unclean or what shows you that you are far from God? What are you saying? What are your words? What are your actions? How do you respond to people? That's what tells you where your heart's at. says that's what's defiling you. You need to look very closely at what's coming out of you. It's coming out of your heart. Because those actions, those words, those responses, they're telling you something about where your heart's at. I read this kind of cool and also scary story. This woman in Wisconsin, Melissa Pfeiffer, she has twins. They're three years old. And she was taking a nap between their cribs. And when she woke up, her son Aiden was not in the crib. And at first she thought that's not a big deal. So she got up and she started looking around the house. She noticed his shoes were gone. He was nowhere in the house. She went down into the basement, all over, nowhere, could not find him. She started to freak out, as any parent would do if your three-year-old wasn't there after a nap. So she goes into the backyard, into the front yard. The kid is not there. She thinks one last possibility Their next-door neighbor has a rock area that the kid likes to play in. She thought, you got to be there. So she runs over there. He is not there, so she calls the cops. They show up within moments to her house. And they say, we found your son. Whatever parent be like, oh, he is at McDonald's. And he walked there. McDonald's was just less than a half a mile from their home. He had to cross the streets. He walked to McDonald's because he loves McDonald's. She 
got the sister, uh, brother, sister. She drove over there in her car. She walks in to relief. And he's sitting there and he goes, hi, mom. And she's like, I just wanted to strangle him. But I was so relieved to find him that I couldn't. Um, I wanted to buy him a happy meal because he loves it so much. But I was embarrassed. And she said, why did you do this? His response, I'm hungry. Now, there's food in the house, right? Um, There's food other places. What drove the action? This kid loves McDonald's. How do you know he loves McDonald's? Because he got himself out of his crib. He put his shoes on at three years old by himself. He walked out of the house. He walked himself down to McDonald's to get some food. It is our actions that are far more enlightening of where our heart is. It's what we do because it shows our desires. It shows the things we most love and value. Jesus says, it's not about cleaning your hands. It's about what comes out of you. So what does that mean? Here's my two simple applications for us. This is where I will end. Number one, we must never put our traditions higher than the Word of God. I'm going to tell you, I am incredibly proud of this church because there's a guy standing in front of you in jeans, tennis shoes, no alb, no nothing, preaching to you. And you're still here. And when I got here, there's a lot of traditions that at least some did not want to let go of. Here's the thing. We must hold our traditions where they belong. I said I love the traditions. I love these things. I love the seasons. Advent, Lent, I love these things. They are not in the Bible. Never does Jesus say, go observe Advent for four weeks. It's not there. Now, it's all based on Scripture. It's not just made up out of thin air. But they aren't commands. And let me tell you one way, and then you can think of others, one way where we may put our traditions above the Word of God. If you ever look at a church that doesn't do the things we do, and you judge them as not being Christian enough, not being godly enough, doing something wrong. There is an absolute command in Scripture that you should not judge. There's an absolute command in Scripture that we are to be unified as the body of Christ. When you start putting your traditions as the way you evaluate others in the body, you are putting the traditions above the Word of God. And I would put that into our own lives too. When we can't let go of a tradition when we hold on so tightly that even when we're challenged or when we think that that could be negative for us or something, we still hold on, we are doing it. Let the traditions be what they are, something to encourage and strengthen our spiritual lives, but they do not define us as Christians. Everything I do, I could take the collar off. It does not define me as a Christian, and it should not define our church. Let our traditions take their place, and be beautiful in that place. And then number two, and this is personal, right? I'm asking us all 
to ruthlessly evaluate our words and our actions. To honestly look at how you respond to people. To honestly look at what is driving you. Where are you putting your time and your energy? And then ask yourself, based on that, am I further away from the heart of God than I want to be? Because that's where we evaluate. And then repent and seek the Lord. This part is not rocket science, but it will take more than three seconds. You gotta pray. You gotta seek Him. You gotta be thinking about the things that God values. And then just not assuming that you're doing those things, but actually going. Like, how am I doing? God, you want me to have compassion. Jesus was so utterly compassionate that it is crazy. And the number of things that Jesus held on to when it came to compassion, the woman caught in adultery, his disciples when they're breaking the Sabbath, or the man's hand that was injured, all of these things where Jesus said, I'm going to help these people. Where are you? Do people come first or do the rules come first? I, again, evaluate where you are. But it will take time. Um, let me just give you, go ahead. And, here's one more from that article. 5.30 p.m., arrived at the gym on the way home from work. 5.30, 5.31, left the gym and continued home. This is it. Now if I could just convince my boss that a 45-minute workday is enough to get everything done, then I'd have much better quality of life. Isn't it what we want? <laughs> um, or finally, funny story. Think I'll stick with the dream away those 10 pounds of ugly fat method. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that's what I'm hoping for. I'm just hoping it will happen. But here's what I know. I know that none of our great musicians became that way on accident. I know that none of you who have been successful in your careers, you didn't become that way on accident. I know that none of you that have a good marriage, that wasn't an accident. None of you that raised kids and did everything you could and worked as hard as you, that wasn't an accident. It took effort, and we can't just dream it away. Where do you want your heart to be? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus, who shows us who you are, the kind of love and grace and compassion and energy and everything about him. Lord, my prayer is that we would all evaluate, are we doing three-second spirituality? And if we are, we would repent of that and change, turn a new direction, that we might draw our hearts closer to you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.